Hey, podcast people, this is a long podcast episode. And so I thought I'd record a very quick introduction here to tell you a little bit about what to expect in it, because I cover lots of different topics. The first one I cover off is social media detoxes. Lots of people get bogged down by social media and they will choose to stop using it for a certain period of time. And I had an insight about social media detoxes that I think can help a lot of people that get bogged down by social media. So I started off by sharing that. Then we transitioned or I transitioned into language learning topics. That's about 15 minutes into the podcast, roughly speaking. And I talked about language exchange partners, not well, not just language exchange partners, just having a speaking partner, whether it's an exchange partner or a tutor, but having someone to talk to in the target language. And I talked about the benefits of that and and why I think that's a good idea. And the last thing I talk about which is probably roughly speaking for the last 15 to 20 minutes approximately, I talk about frustration. I feel that lots of language learners get frustrated and this is one of the one of the biggest impediments to so many language learners. And I thought if I spend a good chunk of time on that, I can probably help out a number of people on their language learning journey. So that's the topics I covered off. And with that aside, let's dive into the podcast episode. It's a long one today. Hey podcast people, how's it going? This is Azrin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds and welcome to today's podcast episode. I would like to talk about two separate things today, one of which is language learning related and one of which is not. Now before we dive into the, into those things, I'd like to make a quick I'd like to make a quick plug. If you would like to support my podcast and you do not necessarily want to take classes through my business or use my language coaching services, a simple way you can promote promote a simple way you can support the show is by leaving me a donation. You can leave me a donation by visiting azrinthelanguagenerd.com/donate. That is spelled A Z or Z R E N thelanguagenerd.com/donate. If for whatever reason you're listening to this podcast at a later date and maybe I've changed the links on my website. If you go to azrinthelanguagenerd.com, you will see it's you will see somewhere in the main menu a link where you can leave me a donation. The platform I use for donations is is a platform called Buy Me a Coffee. It's a pretty cool pretty cool platform and quite simple to use. You can send me a donation with a with the simple click of a button and you can do so by using PayPal or any any major any major credit card or a visa debit. So if you'd like to support the show, that is a very, very simple way that you can do that. Now, the second thing I'd like to talk about today is something that does not have anything to do with language learning, but I believe it's an, it's an observation that will help quite a few people. I know a lot of people that need to do, that feel the need to do social media detoxes. If you haven't heard of this term before, a social media detox is where someone will uninstall or stop using certain social networks or all of their social networks for a given period of time. For example, I saw someone on my Instagram who I followed for a long time. She posted recently saying that she's undownloading Instagram and she's going to take a break from social media. Many people feel the need to do this because social media bogs them down. They get caught into scrolling incessantly or the, it gets them, it makes them feel sad, scared, or anxious because of all of the negative things they see on social media. They don't like seeing the, the arguments people have in the comment section. And overall, 
many people feel that social media has a negative, is having a negative impact on their life. And therefore they decide to take a break from social media, which by the way, I don't necessarily think is a bad idea. The thought I had today was something I've never thought about before, but I believe it's common sense. Sometimes I feel that taking a social media, doing a social media detox is a band-aid on the real problem. What I mean by that is by doing a social media detox, it temporarily makes you feel better because you stopped using you stopped using the social network or social networks that you are on. However, it's a temporary solution because in a one month or two month window, you go back to using the social media networks and all of the negative things that made you leave in the first place are still there. And so I believe for many people, it is a temporary solution. So the question then becomes, well, what is a more permanent solution? What, what can you do? I think it depends for everyone, obviously. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this. But one thing, but something that occurred to me today that I think people, basically anybody can do, is change who you follow. Change the people you follow. When you use an Instagram account or a Facebook account or TikTok or whatever account it is, when you use it, you choose who you are following. And if you are following lots of people that post negative things, or maybe not even negative, maybe you follow lots of people that are posting things that make you feel anxious or you feel nervous, maybe you shouldn't follow those people. That's a simple solution. It's actually something in a way that's worked for me in reverse. For the longest time, I couldn't... How do I phrase this? For the longest time, I didn't feel any sort of anxiety or any kind of negativity from using social media. Zero, to be honest with you. Zero. And when people said that they felt anxious or made them feel nervous, I understood it at a certain level, but I didn't understand it from a personal personal level because I'd never experienced it before. And I would say in the past few months, I actually have started to experience it to an extent. This is because there have been a couple of YouTube channels and a couple of people on Instagram and a few different people that I've began, that I've started to follow, that I've started to follow for different reasons. And the content that they post, the content that, me, that they post does make me feel anxious. I would say the right word is, is it anxious? I would say, I can't quite put a finger on what the emotion is, but it's not a very good emotion. And I was thinking to myself, wow, maybe I need to stop watching. I need to stop using these social networks. And I was like, wait a second. Well, that sounds kind of silly. That doesn't really solve the problem. And it occurred to me that, oh, the reason I'm, I'm feeling these things now is because I'm engaging and I'm following, not following, I'm listening or listening to content or reading content that I wasn't reading before. And prior to, prior to the past few months, everything I watched or listened to <clears throat> was often just based on my work, to be honest. That was it, just based on my work. I would post things about language learning. I would talk to my audience. We'd exchange direct messages back and forth. I talked to my to people who were, who were looking into taking new classes with me. The people I followed were often, there's lots of different types of people I followed. Some of them are just my friends and generally my friends. I guess my personal friends are not really that active on social media for the most part. Um, I follow I follow some people that, that share business advice. So I would get useful business advice for the business. And that was generally quite positive. 
they weren't posting things that made me feel very anxious or scared. In fact, maybe it was the opposite. It usually made me feel motivated or I learned something new. It'd be insightful. Same thing on YouTube. So everything I used and all of the people I followed and, all, and the entire purpose of me using social media, the entire purpose motivated me and motivated me and made me feel more positive than it did negative. And in the past few months, the way I've been using social networks continues to be reason like I'd say 80 to 90% positive. But I have started to follow some different people who talk about the news or who talk about their viewpoints on politics or things that that go more in that realm. And I personally, I personally will follow people that I don't necessarily agree with on purpose because I want to see what they're saying. I'm curious to hear what they're saying because I don't think I'm necessarily right about everything. In fact, I'm probably wrong about quite a few things. And by hearing different types of perspectives, <clears throat> it helps me understand what I believe to be right. It helps me understand how different people view the world. And I think it's a beneficial thing to do. But one of the, cons one of the results of doing this has been that sometimes I actually do feel a little bit more Again, I can't find the right word, but I don't feel very good watching all of these things. And that's what's led me to this conclusion that, oh, right, that's what you have to do. If there's things that you are watching that or consuming that make you feel a certain way, it's not necessarily the fault of the application itself. It comes down to you and choosing who you follow, who you listen to, how often you consume that content. That's what it comes down to, and it's not necessarily the fault of the application itself. So, and so I suppose one way to finish, not finish this off, but I suppose one thing to, to say is, hmm, how do I, how do I say this? It's something I want to say, and I'm, I'm, finding, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding the right words. <clears throat> I suppose all of this begs the question, should you only listen to things on social media that make you feel good? And that's a very complicated question. I actually don't, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, what makes you feel good? Does that mean you're only listening to things that reinforce what you believe? Well, that's probably not very good. But ultimately, I think you have to find, I could be wrong here, but the initial thought process I have right now is that it's important to find, to strike a balance between following things that are important to follow, following accounts or people that are maybe important to follow, either for personal reasons for you or maybe because they share the news and it's important to know what's happening around the world or in your city, in your community. Um, <clears throat> so striking a balance of following people that maybe you need to follow for X, Y, Z reasons, but striking that balance between that and of course your mental health and how you feel. There's an account I've stopped following. I don't watch their videos at all. I mean, maybe once a week, if that, if that, not even once a week, that I used to watch videos all the time. It was like a news. They talked about the news, but then I realized that I didn't, it's actually very biased. And I don't know if I want to listen to a biased news person. And the types of thumbnails he chooses to use are designed to be very pr provocative and anxiety causing. I saw him, he had a thumbnail it was like uh, someone putting a gun, a cartoon of someone putting a gun to someone's head. And I was like, this is not the type of person I actually want to be following. That's, it's very fear inducing. Like that's not, I want the news, but I don't want it coded 
coded in fear. That's not what I want it coded in. I just want the news. So I, I have to stop following this person. Every now and then I might watch one of his videos. Right? Um, so that's probably... I wanted to share my two cents on that. So in conclusion, on this piece of the podcast, before we go to language learning, in conclusion, I feel that social media detoxes are not necessarily a bad idea when you feel that social media is bogging you down. But ultimately, I think you have to ask yourself, one thing that's important to do is ask yourself the question, is it the fault of the platform? Or do you need to change who you're following and who you consume? Maybe you need to follow some follow and consume more content that is actually positive, that makes you feel good, right? Maybe it's cat videos. Maybe it's people who are share motivational messages. Maybe it's good news networks, because there are people that post good news. That's all they post. So all of a sudden you can follow some people that are very negative, but then you balance it out by, by watching people that are very positive. And all of a sudden you get a more realistic view of the world and something more realistic. It reminds me, actually, I have one last thing I want to say. I just thought of this. I run a Facebook group called the Language Learning Nerds. I have uh, two people who help me moderate it as well. But I also am involved enough. Um, quite reasonably involved in that group. I do read and I, I do accept posts and I do do moderate and I do comment and I read the comments. To the, there's thousands a day, but I mean, I do my best to read as much as, much as I can. And... Here's something that's really interesting. When you when there's thousands of comments a day and you're reading, I read a fair number of them. And I'm, I do read a fair number of them. When you do that, you realize something very quickly if you take an object, objective look at it. Oh, by the way, and there's over 100,000 people in the group from people of all backgrounds, all parts of the world. By following, by reading the comments, you see things that are absolutely ugly. You see people that say the most terrible racist things. You see all sorts of toxic fights in the comments. You see all sorts of, of all sorts of different opinions and all sorts of conflict that happens. You see, mm, I don't want to say the worst of humanity because it's not the worst of humanity, but you see some pretty negative things. But here's the thing. Here's the most important thing to realize. You also see a lot of positive reinforcement and you see a lot of positive. And in fact, if I were to ask myself objectively, there's a heck of a lot more positive ha that happens in the comments than there is negative. Way more positive than negative. Now, here's the thing though. When I see the positive things, they don't stick in my mind. When someone says in the group, hey, congratulations, oh, nice job on learning that grammar point, it doesn't really stick in my head. Or someone makes a little quirky, a quirky um, joke that people thought was really funny and you see lots of likes on the comment because kind of it was a funny joke and people liked it in the comments, right? It doesn't strike in my mind very much. But when I see the argument, when I see someone post something in Arabic and they ask, oh, I'm learning Arabic. I was wondering what this phrase says because I don't understand it. And then there's, you know, you get the 15 people in the comments who say something incredibly racist and terrible about, about about Muslims or about people in the Arab world or whatever it is, those 15 comments have such a venom behind it that they stick in my mind. But if I actually look at things objectively, yes, there's really terrible things in the group, but there's a heck of a lot of positive in the group too. There's in fact more positive than there is negative. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that <clears throat> it's important to, to, maybe this is the right conclusion actually, now that I've stumbled my way through this, perhaps the right conclusion to make 
is when you're when you're using social networks sure follow the news or follow people you disagree with or follow people that inform you of what's going on and often when you see those things they're going to be negative maybe wrapped in some fear they make you feel uncomfortable but you also have to follow lots of people that are just pure positive very positive maybe motivational or people that inspire you or content that just makes you laugh whether it's comedy whether it's whatever it is light-hearted things um, follow good news networks there's lots of good news networks online nowadays um, kids news is another one I, I uh, there's something called doggo I think it's called if I remember correctly I have a student of mine who's 13 or 14 and she she she's really advanced in English but she doesn't live in Canada anymore so she doesn't have anyone to, to, to speak English with and I recommend a dog I think it's doggo I recommend a doggo because it's the news but it's what you what you'd picture it's the news designed for kids or younger people but when you actually read it it's this is what you'd expect the news to be this is what you'd expect the news to be it it's it has things it has events that are new around the world organized by category and it's not covered up in it's not coded in fear or not a crazy amount of bias or anything like that. It's actually quite refreshing. So maybe some kids kids news networks. Maybe you follow some of those too, right? Balance it out so you get a true look. Well, as true as possible. Look at, well, not necessarily the world, but long story short, if you get a balanced, it's I think it's a better idea to have to have a balance of what kind of people you follow and and whatnot. Okay, wow, that, was, that went a lot longer than I thought. Let's let's dive into our language learning topic of the day. I have a few things that I would like to go through in terms of language learning, but I'm not sure if I'll get to everything, so let's see how far I get. The first thing has to do with language partners. I believe that more language learners should use language partners in their journey of learning a language. If you don't know what a language partner is, a language partner is somebody who, an, an actual speaker of the language you're trying to learn, whether it's a native speaker or even just a very, very advanced speaker. And this is a person that you you talk to, to that you talk to in order to improve your level in the target language. There's lots of things you can do with the with a with a language partner. You can have them correct your writing, you can do speaking practice, you can do you can ask them for help when you go through assignments in your textbook. You can do all sorts of different things. There's not a right, there's not necessarily a single right way to effectively use a language partner on your journey to learning another language. However, I will say that having a language partner is beneficial. In my experience though, most, I don't know most, but many language learners do not actually have a language partner. I'm not 100% sure why that is. But I do think it's a good idea. Now, a language partner can take one of two forms. It can be a tutor, and the tutor becomes your language partner. Or the language partner can be someone more casual, maybe a friend or a family member, perhaps someone that you like an online friend, perhaps someone you meet using an application such as HelloTalk or Tandem. Maybe it's someone you find in a Facebook group. Either way, I believe it's beneficial, and I want to encourage language learners to use language partners, whether it's one or multiple. The reason I say this is, is well, the reasons, I should say, the reasons I say this, there's more than one, is, first of all, <clears throat> that language 
language, you learn a language in order to actually use the language, for the most part. Most people learn a language because they want to actually use the language with other people. And it's beneficial to know someone that you can actually use the language with. Language is not, well, I shouldn't say that's not true, but because of you eventually want to actually, because you eventually want to learn the language to such a level that you can communicate with other people, practicing communicate, communicating with someone else, even when you're not that advanced, is not a bad idea. In fact, it's a very good idea for, for many people, if not most people. Second of all, using a language partner will expedite the process. It will make the process of learning a language much faster. Because if you, if you have access to a native or, or advanced speaker of the target language, you can ask them questions when you don't understand something. Otherwise, if you're learning by yourself and you have questions, you're stuck and you don't know who to ask and you don't know how to figure it out. Sure, you could use YouTube or Google to figure it out and you probably could figure it out depending on the language, but often it takes a lot longer. Or sometimes what happens, at least in my experience, is when I don't understand something and I Google it or YouTube it, I sort of understand. I sort of understand, but I don't fully understand. Or I understand theoretically, but I still have more questions. I don't understand if I did, if I have enough of an understanding to implement and actually apply the knowledge that I now learned by using Google or YouTube. But with a language exchange partner or a tutor, I can actually talk to someone and I can ask them more questions and say, I'm trying to figure out this grammar point. I think this is how it works. I wrote these sentences to, to try and use this grammar point. Is that correct? Have I made mis any mistakes here? Please let me know. And they can actually tell you. So it can make the process a lot faster in my, in my experience. Additionally, when you're using a language exchange partner or a tutor and you do it right, and it's not a, you're not using them, how do I say this? You're using them as someone to communicate with and you build a true friendship or relationship with this person. Having, having a genuine relationship with someone in the target language, and I don't necessarily mean romantic relationship, by the way, just any sort of relationship. Having that connection, let's use that word, having that connection with another person that speaks the target language and your connection is based on you using the target language will help you become more fluent. I don't know the research behind this, but it intuitively feels right to me based on the thousands of hours of experience I've now had learning and teaching languages. <sighs> learning a language is faster. How do I say this? You will learn a language faster if you learn a language with native speakers or advanced speakers. If you, if you have genuine connections or relationships or friendships with native speakers that you actually talk to or advanced speakers, they actually talk to and try to communicate with and you, you, you genuinely feel something for that person, you have emotions, you have feelings for that person. And again, not necessarily romantic feelings, just you like the person. That somehow or another seems to expedite the process. When you learn in a bubble, and you don't have genuine connections with other people that speak the target language, either natively or at a very advanced level, somehow or another, for some reason, that slows the process down, in my experience. I don't know why that is. I don't know the research. This is something I'm saying that intuitively feels right to me. And I can tell you for myself, it's, it's always, for myself and many people I know, not just me, by the way, but many people that have come across. For me, 
and many people that I've come across, it's, it's, it's beneficial to have a native or advanced speaker that you have a real connection with, that you talk to and you try and communicate with and and you you do fun things together in the target language, you, you bond over shared interests, you have funny moments together, maybe some awkward moments together. Like I have lots of different stories where I've learned something very important, like the word for washing machine in Mandarin. And I have lots of stories like this, by the way, it's not like one off. I have like probably hundreds of stories. Interesting. I probably have hundreds of stories this way where there's certain words or phrases or topics I know a lot about because of a memorable experience with a native or advanced speaker. I remember in Mandarin, I, I couldn't wash my clothes in China because I couldn't work their washing machine. And it was awkward because there was no one ever at home that could help me except for the old grandpa who didn't speak a lick of English and his Mandarin was impossible to understand for me. So I had to learn how to say washing machine and like point it and like, like, and explain to him the problem that I didn't know how to work it. because I couldn't read the buttons and I didn't know what, like it was so difficult. So then I, I learned a lot of words that way that I won't forget. Even a lot of food words like eggs and rice and noodles. I learned those because I actually couldn't eat in China because I couldn't go in restaurants and um, order things. So many of the of the, the initial food words that are ingrained in my mind are due to experiences related to that. If I give non-travel related experiences, I've got certain um, expressions. Let's use Mandarin again, because I had some friends locally in my city who spoke Mandarin and we would speak in Mandarin and we'd have certain experiences that would, would drive certain phrases home into my mind. Like I know one thing I'll never forget and it's so ingrained in my head is the word for grammar in Mandarin is not the same in Taiwan as it is in mainland China. But I have a specific memory that's driven that home. So having those genuine relationships, whether it's virtual or in person, they are beneficial. Here's another one for you. I can give you a Mandarin one too. And this is a virtual example. I had a, a tutor I was taking classes with in Mandarin a couple of years back. <clears throat> and she didn't really speak much English, to be honest. So we are really our friendship and well, tutor, well, not friendship, but the tutor to T relationship we had, which was a very good relationship, by the way, I really enjoyed like we I enjoyed her company. Um, I remember this time when we were talking about chickens, chickens, right? Or I thought we we're talking about chickens. But the thing is, the word for chicken and the word for muscle in Mandarin sounds the same. It's just different characters. Um, and so we were talking about going to the gym. And she told me in Mandarin that when you go to the gym, you get really big muscles. Now, what I understood was when you go to the gym, you get really big chickens because the word for muscle and chicken is pronounced the same way. So in my head, I was like, what? You go to the gym in China and you get big chickens? And I was like, what do you mean? So I asked her, I was like, wait, you get big chickens? And of course she understood that you get big muscles. And she's like, well, yeah, it's like a reward for your hard work. And I was like, wow, Chinese gyms reward you with big fat chickens on your way out of the gym as a reward for going to the gym. Wow, I guess you go home and cook the chicken. And we had such a strange conversation. And in the end, I asked her like, wait, like chicken, like buck, 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 buck. And I wrote the character. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. This this character, like muscles. And I was like, oh, but I'm not going to forget that anymore because we had that laugh and we we laughed about it. It was memorable and it was it was just fun. It was funny. <laughs> I tell I tell that story even four years later, five years later or whatever it's been now. So use language exchange partners or even tutors. It doesn't matter which route you go down. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages to both, of course, but go down that route. It will be beneficial. And the last language learning thing I'll say, do I have time here? Let me look at what time it is. 
Yeah, I can do it quickly. I can do it. I can try and get this done fast if I can. I'll, I'll try my best. Um, the last thing I would like to say, I'd like to say today has to do, it has to do with patience, but it's not exactly patience. Let me explain. On my podcast and in my content, you've probably heard me talk a lot about the importance of patience when learning another language. I've, I've talked about this often, but I think there's something that is equally important, if not more important than patience, which is combating frustration. Combating frustration, fighting frustration is very important. I've noticed recently as I've talked to lots of language learners that frustration is a big impediment to learning another language. Lots of language learners, maybe the majority, I'm not sure, but let's say lots for now. <clears throat> lots of language learners get frustrated when learning a language and that slows you down. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even slow you down. It makes you stop. That's why I stopped Korean. I was learning Korean for three weeks, three weeks, two or three weeks, maybe, maybe less actually. I was doing an intensive Korean program and I stopped after a couple, less than a month, let's say. I can't remember exactly how many weeks. I stopped because of frustration. Frustration made me stop. So if it makes me someone who is super nerdy about languages that lives and breathes languages 24 seven, that's all I do. If it makes me stop, I mean, the average Joe can get stopped by frustration too, right? And if, if, if it doesn't stop you, it minimally will slow you down, minimally. And so it's important to fight frustration. It's important to it's important to minim, do what you can to minimize it. Now, where does frustration come from? Well, frustration comes from number one, a lack of patience. You want something faster than you want something now and you don't want to wait for it. And you can't have it now, so you get frustrated. You want to understand the present tense now, and you want to have mastered it now, but you haven't mastered it now and you're frustrated that you haven't mastered it now <clears throat> because you want it, but no matter what you do, you can't have it. And it's very frustrating. Or similarly, it might not even be you want something now. It could even be that you're trying to learn something and it's not sticking. You're trying and you're trying and you're trying, but you're not improving at it. It's not sticking. It's not clicking in your mind. So you get frustrated because you're, you're trying. You're trying really hard, but it doesn't, it's not, nothing's happening. It's, you're not improving. Now, sometimes that's tied to patience because sometimes you have to keep trying for a longer period of time. Sometimes it is, but not always, right? So let's talk about this frustration. How do you fight frustration? How do you com combat frustration? I've got a few thoughts on this. First of all, you have to actually have an honest look at yourself in the mirror and say, yes, you're frustrated, but are you actually putting in lots of, are you actually putting in the effort to learn the thing that's causing you frustration? Some people end up thinking about it more than they actually do something about it. They think about it more than they do something about it. And that thinking causes frustration. So you feel like you're doing a lot, but you're actually not doing a lot. You're just thinking a lot about it. So you have to ask yourself that. Number two, I want you to track how many hours have you spent trying to learn the thing that's causing you frustration? Think about that. How many hours has it been? <laughs> I remember, it's so funny. I was talking to a parent. I teach their, their, their child. And I was talking to the parent and the parent was frustrated at the progress of, the, of their child. And like, yeah, I feel like they're still not talking. They're still not really, I feel like they haven't improved much. It's been four months. And I told him, yeah, it's been four months. Yes, it actually is more than, I think it was five or six months even. I was like, yeah, it's been four or five months or six months or whatever it was. But your kid takes 
half an hour of what was it half an hour or 45 minutes I can't remember it's 30 to 30 let's call it 30 to 60 minutes a week of class so let's let's pan this out let's say it's been let's say it's been four months four months is roughly 16 weeks your kid has studied 16 hours of the language and your kid does no homework nothing except for the class so 16 hours i mean you don't progress much in 16 hours and he's like oh yeah i guess 16 hours isn't really that much and i was like yeah in 16 hours your child has made the progress that one would make in 16 hours <laughs> that is the progress one would make that someone would make adult or child and they're like oh yeah you're right another parent i talked to was like yeah my um, this one never took classes with me but she reached out for classes and we were t i was discussing this with her she's like yeah i'm really frustrated because my my child is taking um this language class with this organization i won't name well, i guess i couldn't i mean i guess i could name the organization it's not really bad it's taking gujarati classes with sunscar education or i think it's, i think it's sunscar education i'm pretty sure it's what it is and she's like yeah i'm really frustrated because my, my daughter hasn't learned very much and she's still like not fluent at all and it's been like i think she said something like eight months and I was like, oh, really? Okay. Like, what has she been doing with Sunscar Education? And she goes, yeah, she's taking the group classes. I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, it's been eight months, roughly eight months, I think it was. It's like an hour. It's like, I think it's 40 minutes a week or 45 minutes a week of eight months of doing that in a group class environment. And I was like, okay, so it's how many kids in the group? She's like, well, yeah, it's like seven or eight kids, five kids, 10 kids. It depends on the, depends on the session. I was like, okay. It's like five to 10 kids. Okay. 45 minutes this is the six-year-old i believe it was or very very young and taking these classes in a group environment right group environment when it's a group environment 45 minutes that's split up amongst the kids so you're not getting 45 minutes of learning and for in a 45 minute group class you get maybe 20 minutes or 15 minutes of learning maybe let's say 20 to really play it on the high end and i think that's high i really think it's probably closer to 15. so 20 minutes times one class a week for eight months, so that is 32 weeks, roughly speaking, 32 weeks, let's say 20 minutes per week, right? That's just not a lot, right? That's just not a lot. That's roughly, again, 16, a little bit less than 16 hours, a little bit less. So eight months and she's done 16 hours of progress. Well, that's about normal. She's like, oh, so if you're getting frustrated, sometimes it can help to think about how many hours you've actually put into it. Now, let's say you put in lots of hours. Now the question becomes, okay, you've put in 80 hours on trying to learn the past tense. You might go, wow, that's really bad. And I would agree that maybe, well, I don't know if it is really bad. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. But you might say, wow, it's been a lot of hours that I've been trying to learn X, Y, Z thing. Whoa, it's been a lot of hours. Okay, it's, this is not the situation of Azrin saying, has it really only been 10 hours, but it feels like it's been longer? Oh my God, it really has been like 50 hours. Like that's quite a bit. Well, then you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself, well, how have you spent those 50 hours? Clearly, well, either the amount of hours you've put in to said skill is not enough to actually master that skill. Like if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I suck at speaking, I've done a hundred hours of speaking. Well, sucking at speaking is such a broad topic and everyone's everyone's what they picture when they say i suck at speaking is different for everyone right it's different for everybody what that means i suck at speaking when i say i suck at speaking i picture something different than what perhaps you picture in your mind does that make sense 
So, and, and also, if you're thinking good, if you're defining being good at speaking as having an upper intermediate level and you're a beginner beginner, well, 100 hours just isn't very much. It's just not that much yet, right? It's just not. Because being an upper intermediate or advanced speaker takes way more than 100 hours. That's like, it takes, think of, I mean, you to learn your first language took way more than 100 hours. Like way more. I should actually do the research on what it, how many hours a child puts in to learning another language. I'm actually just going to do a quick Google search right now. I won't be obviously a scholarly resource, but let me give a, a quick Google search to get a rough number. Okay, I found something really interesting here. Wow, I don't, again, I don't know how true this is, but it does seem to make sense to me. And this is an interesting piece of information that you should have in your mind when you're learning languages. So for babies and children, when they're learning their first language, okay? Um, this is, by the way, the website I'm on right now is, um, it is verywellfamily.com slash how-do-children-learn-language-1449116 hashtag. Well, I guess we don't need the hashtag actually, do we? We don't need the hashtag, that's fine. So that's the website, okay? And she's saying, let's skip ahead a little bit. <clears throat> At 12 months, children are able to attach meanings to words. Once they can do that, they can build, they can begin to build a vocabulary. They also begin to mimic new words they hear. So 12 months, think about that. 12 months of being full-time spoken to. During all waking hours, they're with a native speaker, aka mom or dad, or aunt or uncle or whoever. 24 hours, not 24 hours a day, but all waking hours. Let's say they're, I mean, how, how long is a baby awake? What, eight hours a day, maybe 10? I'm not even sure, I don't have baby. But still, even if it was eight hours a day, let's just throw that number out, right? Like, that's a lot of time. You're not putting that much time towards the language. So 12 months of full-time, full-time working on the language. And what can they do? They can attach meanings to words. I understand they're younger, the brains are different. I understand you might say, well, adults aren't like that. Well, yeah, but understand that full-time, that's all they can do. If you did that full-time, you'd be able to do way more than a baby could, that's for sure. But you're not learning full-time, so think of the amount of time they're putting in just to attach meanings to words. Let's fast forward a bit, okay? Um, let me go over here. Let's go here. Um, by the age of three, children continue to expand their vocabulary and develop more... Oh, hang on a second. Uh, sorry, uh, let's go back up Back up a second here. Um, from, 30, from 30 to 36 years, 30 to 36 months old, that's about just three years old, basically. About 90% of what children say is grammatically correct. The mistakes they make are usually things like adding ED to irregular verbs for the past tense. For example, they might say, I falled down instead of I fell down. Okay. So three years, again, pretty full-time learning the language, right? To be able to say, that, like, that's that's not what we do as adults. So that's how long it took you, when you were learning your mother tongue, it took you three years of full-time education with your mom or dad or whoever, just to say nine, just have 90% correct grammar and to be able to converse at a very basic level. Three-year-olds do not converse very well, by the way. I have a two-year-old cousin. They don't converse very well, I'm telling you. They're pre they say pretty basic things. Their vocabulary sucks. They're not strong at the language. They're fluent in a very narrow sense of the word. Of they're very, very, they're fluent in a very narrow sense of language. Okay, let's keep going. This is another big thing here. 
by preteen years, kids begin to use what are called although type sentences. These sentences show a concession, such as even though the man was tired, he kept working. Preteen, that's like 11 years old. So by the time they're 11, that's when people start to even form reasonably complex sentences. So 11 years, that's going to school, talking to friends, 11 years of being immersed in language just to form some sort of complex sentences, right? So basically, and I think I saw something else on this page, um, which makes sense to me. I think it were to go. Um, oh, where was I just looking at it? I was looking at it here. Um, oh, I lost, I lost the part on this website. Um, that's okay though, but yeah, it's okay. Oh, here we go. I found it. So yeah, pre, uh, oh, that's not it. Long story short, long story short. Um, I did read it somewhere on this, on this post where they're saying that, um, people's speech only begins to resemble adult speak once they're in their teenage years. So that's like, fit, let's call it 13 years minimum of full-time education, uh, a full-time immersion to achieve something that resembles the, the an adult in that language. That's a long time. I forget how we got down this rabbit hole, but, oh yes, I remember. So frustration, right? So you, for your first language, it took you, let's say a minimum of 13 full-time years to achieve something similar to the fluency you have now. <clears throat> so if you want to have a near native level of fluency, you've got minimally 13 years ahead of you something like that right that's that's one way to view it again it may not be the most accurate it's not the most the most accurate way to view it because foreign language acquisition is different than first language acquisition and as an adult you do there's lots of differences i understand but just to give you some ballpark number of how long it might take you if you wanted a near native level of fluency it takes a long time okay now and i'll finish off on this wow this is the longest podcast i made in a long time um now <clears throat> uh, what was I going to say? When it comes to frustration, right? Uh, some of the things you might you might hear me say, you're hearing me say, might feel very discouraging. Like, wow, that's a long time, Azra. But here's the here's the secret about about frustration that you don't realize. People, you you don't actually want to achieve your fluency goal. That's not what you actually want. You think that's what you want, but that's not what you really want. What you really want is to feel progress. If you feel progress, you're not going to feel bothered that you're not at your current fluency goal. You'll settle, you'll say, well, I'm not quite there yet, but hey, I've improved, I'm improving. And you'll feel good about that. So what you actually want is not to achieve your fluency goal. You don't actually want your fluency goal today. That's not really what you want. What you're really looking for is progress. So what you have to do is ask yourself, and it's gonna be different for everyone, I'm speaking to the masses right now, you have to ask yourself, what do I have to do to feel progress? Most, well, many people ask themselves, what do I have to do to learn and master this concept or learn or master this language? That's the wrong question. At all points in time, you just have to ask yourself, what do I have to do to feel progress? What do I have to do to feel progress? That's all you have to worry about at all points in time. If you feel project, if you feel progress, you will not feel frustrated. The frustration goes away. If you focus on, if, if the question you're asking yourself is how do I learn this concept and master this concept, you'll get frustrated. If you ask yourself, how do I 
make sure I feel progress, you won't feel frustrated. And you'll end up learning the concept anyway. Okay, everyone, we've gone long enough, 42 minutes. Wow, that's the longest podcast all year, I think. Have a great rest of the day. I hope you like this podcast episode. I enjoyed making it. And we'll talk later. Bye-bye. Oh, by the way, before we finish, uh, please, if you like this podcast episode, go leave me a donation. Donation on my website, uh, azrinthelanguagenerd.com slash donate. A-Z or Z-R-E-N, thelanguagenerd.com slash donate. I'd appreciate it. It's a great way to support the show. Bye-bye.